Hello and welcome. I'm Chris Neeland, host of Cult Brand Secrets. This podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and The Gathering. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit, and it's a masterclass for brand leaders hoping to reap the benefits of having hyper-engaged customers, prospects, and staff. In every episode, I present one of industry's biggest disruptors, a brand leader who is earning cult-like status by thinking and behaving differently than his or her mediocre peers. These brand leaders will share examples of how their companies, such as Marvel, M&Ms, Beats by Dre, Yeti, or the Dallas Cowboys, are spending their time and their resources creating advocates by enhancing their customer and their employee experiences in ways that make interacting with them irresistible. So check out all our episodes to gain access to the most impressive business leaders sharing their most important advice. I love honoring B2B brands. We don't have nearly enough B2B brand leaders that are displaying the courage and the aspiration to achieve the highest levels of brand advocacy. And that's really a shame because so many of their companies would greatly benefit if they did. I especially loved honoring Benevity, not only because of what they've accomplished with their own business, but also because of what they're helping other businesses accomplish. And I love that Sona came as Benevity's brand ambassador because she is so smart and so kind and so bought in to what Benevity is doing that her passion and her enthusiasm throughout the three-day conference was contagious. You know, many of you may not know as much about Benevity as you should. And I probably know more about them than I should because I watched them grow up in Calgary. Their company and my company started around the same time and we had similar desires to help businesses do more than just make a lot of money. But Benevity is clearly more wildly successful than I was, and they became one of Western Canada's unicorns when they received a billion-dollar valuation a few years ago. Benevity, they started in 2008 as this micro-donation platform to help different companies' employees donate to the causes that they believe in and maybe enjoy some sort of company match on their donation. But Benevity really hit their stride in 2013 when Nike chose them as their enterprise CSR solution. And with that iconic client and that great case study under their belt, Benevity went on to win hundreds of new clients and to go global with European operations and to eventually hire over a thousand employees. I'm clearly envious of their success, and I'm just so proud of them. Not many businesses can say with a straight face that they are literally making the world a better place, but Benevity can. And I'm excited for you to learn more about their story and hopefully do some of the things to follow in their footsteps. Let me turn it over to Sona Kozla, Benevity's Chief Impact Officer, to tell you more. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here. I truly am humbled. Um, I've been told I should write a book about my life, um, mostly because my childhood entails a mother who became psychic while I was in junior high. 
And I'm just going to say it's not a good time for your mother to know what you're up to. Um, but shortly after that, things got more interesting when she married a Nigerian witch doctor, not kidding, who had nine children spread across the country and all the way back to Africa. So some days I would come back uh, home from school and I would, they would have put my sister in a trance. Or uh, once there was a pentagram spray painted on the, our back porch just for protection. Um, and sometimes my mom would be having tea, tea with a Blackfoot elder. Um, so it was an interesting childhood and I will definitely spare you uh, all the details. Um, but all this to say, I grew up the daughter of a mother who had a very deep spiritual calling. And she basically wanted to help people live their sole purpose. In April 2019, almost three years exactly to the day, I learned my mother was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. And she actually slipped from diagnosis to death in just 13 days. Yeah, whew. Uh, in that short in-between time, though, uh, I would visit my mom in the hospital, of course, and we'd tell each other our dreams because that's what we'd do. And one day she told me about this dream where she was on stage uh, teaching people how to meditate and hoping to heal the world. And she looked at me with this light in her eyes and she said, Sona, wouldn't it be amazing if we were on stage together? And I just saw her eyes light up for the first time since she'd been in the hospital. So I didn't have the heart to tell her that there was no way I ever wanted to share the stage with her because she had so much spiritual charisma, she'd just soak up all the energy in the room. Anyways, here we are today on stage together. She was psychic after all. So when I was five years old, I actually seemed to be telling you my life story, actually. But uh, my parents asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I wanted to make them laugh, so I told them I wanted to be a radio. <laughs> I thought that was, that was pretty funny. But as I started to evolve in my career, I actually ended up doing a lot more speaking and starting to speak in front of business audiences. And so my mom said, Sona, you should be speaking. You should become that radio. On my 40th birthday, uh, she wrote the most prophetic and beautiful wish for me in my birthday card. She said to me that she wished I would become that radio and broadcast my message to the world. But I'll admit, at that time, it felt true, but it just felt like this faraway thing that I still wasn't quite ready for. On another visit to the hospital, I actually shared one of my dreams with my mom. And what I told her was, I had this dream where it really seemed, it was super convoluted, the dream, like it took a lot to work through it, but what I realized the dream was actually telling me was that my mother knew me better than I knew myself. And she looked at me and she touched my hair and she said, Sona, I've always seen you differently than you've seen yourself. And it, for the first time, I got to see myself through her eyes as a strong and capable woman and as someone who had something to say. Not at all how I'd ever seen myself before, to be honest. And it was a gift because just a few days later, she died. And it was at that time that I became so much more serious about living my purpose. At that time, I was vice president of marketing at Benevity, which it sounds like many of you know. We're a fast-growing tech company in Calgary whose cloud solutions power, you guessed it, purpose, <laughs> but corporate purpose. We help hundreds of iconic brands um, power their corporate purpose programs in ways that better attract, retain, and engage today's diverse workforce. We embed social action into customer experiences, and we help them positively impact their communities and the world. 
We describe ourselves as the little goodness engine that could. And we recently became Canada's fourth unicorn, valued at a billion dollars. And we've been uh, recognized by Fortune's Impact 20. And now we're backed by Bono and Al Gore's Sustainability and Impact Funds, which makes us way cooler than we would have ever been on our own. But what's even more astounding is the impact of our little company and our community of 800 clients, their 20 million employees, and their hundreds of millions of customers, and our 2 million nonprofit partners. The impact that we've had is we've processed $8 billion in donations. We've helped companies and their people track more than 43 million volunteer hours and half a million positive actions all in support of 326,000 nonprofits worldwide. <laughs> it's pretty awesome to wake up to that every day. Uh, and we've managed to do it, uh, we've managed to achieve this through an approach that really helps companies create this purpose-driven movement in their, in their companies by uh, igniting the passions of their people and creating a culture of goodness. I remember joining Benevity back in 2015 when we were just 100 people, we're now 950. And we had roughly the same number of clients at that time. And I was wondering what this whole CSR thing was. I quickly learned that our, our clients were leaders in corporate social responsibility, CSR. And I learned that this was the department that used the company's wealth and resources to make the world a better place. Whether they were embedding social action into their customer experiences or checkout pages, where they're running employee volunteer programs, donation matching campaigns, whether they were lending their products or their skills to nonprofits to better the world. So what I felt like I just learned this big secret, that this is where capitalism was at its best. These were like the best people working in the best jobs at the best companies. And I felt so privileged. And I remember sitting at our conference, our user conference about six years ago, it's called Goodness Matters, when a woman named LaShonda Hurst, who is Microsoft's CSR leader, got up in front of the entire audience, including her competitors at Apple and Google, and said, we may be in competition in business, but we're all collaborators in goodness. She then proceeded to talk about how Microsoft does what they do, which is incredible. And little did I know at that time, I was actually witnessing the beginning of a movement of purpose-driven business. A few years later, in 2018, a guy named Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, uh, they manage a measly $10 trillion in assets, made a declaration about this new approach to business. And what he said was that, without a sense of purpose, no company, either, either public or private, can achieve its full potential. Basically, no business could profit if they didn't have purpose. And this is BlackRock saying this to his CEOs. Our new BFF, Larry Fink, went on in 2019 to say that purpose acts as a guiding force for culture. And we were like, heck yeah! Not because we thought it would sell more software, but because we had actually seen it happen in the companies that we worked with, including BlackRock, who's one of our clients. You can just see how their culture permeates and creates this movement where they're having a massive impact on, the, on society, on the world, on business, and on the market. Then the Business Roundtable came out in 2019, and they made a statement that said that business needs to serve more than just shareholders. They need to serve all of their stakeholders. So this was the beginning of stakeholder capitalism formally. 
And these statements were all made before 2020 when things got a hell of a lot more complicated. But what you're going to see is that some things also got better, and business was one of them. So take yourselves back to March 13th, 2020. And if you were in Calgary, that was the day that we were asked to work from home. And I don't know if you remember, but I remember walking over to one of my colleagues' desks and saying like, this is interesting. I feel like I'm like part of a social good experiment on a global scale. Like, let's see if this actually works. This is kind of interesting to be a part of. Just a few days later, our clients were knocking on our door. Help, they were asking to help to activate purpose programs for their employees, their customers, the public, and their nonprofits. And it's hard to pinpoint an exact time when a moment flips into a movement. But if I had to pick one, it would be that day. And what we saw from our perch at Benevity was truly unprecedented. The creativity, the innovation, the outpouring of support that brands demonstrated in the face of crisis was nothing short of inspiring. In the eight weeks that followed the onset of the pandemic, we saw more than 500 companies and their people donate $640 million, 786,000 volunteer hours, and a number of small acts of goodness, and they issued almost 9,000 grants to 79,000 causes. Again, incredible impact, and that was all in just eight weeks. So we saw companies publishing educational content about how to prevent the spread of the virus or rallying their people to, um, to sew masks when PPE shortages were a thing. We saw companies like Adobe uh, publishing virtual volunteer directories to help their people safely volunteer. Uh, organizations like the David and Lucille Packard Foundation ran, ran donation matching campaigns that were up to five to one. The companies that stepped up during this time and became that catalyst for global good, they earned the trust of their people, the trust of their communities, and the trust of their customers, as all of them started to see that they could count on business to do the right thing. Then not long after, George Floyd was murdered. And again, we saw something we had never seen in our history. For the first time, every single one of the, one of the top 10 causes receiving donations on the Benevity platform was a social or racial justice cause. And that month, 55% of all donations were donated to that category of causes. And just to give you a bit of perspective, prior to that, like literally weeks before that even, that total donation share had only ever gone up to 3%. So a tidal wave change. We all witnessed history in the making as more and more brands and leaders came out and spoke, um, stood, stood in solidarity with black people and spoke out against racism. But we also got to see companies not just saying that they cared, but demonstrating that they cared through concrete, authentic action. And again, they engaged their employees and their customers in those efforts. In the wake of these crises, we saw more and more evidence of what Benevity has always believed, and that's that you can do well by doing good. And the data is unequivocal that purpose drives profits. I'm a bit of a data nerd, so I'm going to go into a bit of a data section here. But what we do know is that it increases market value, it drives up revenue, it increases your room for premium pricing, and it increases employee engagement and decreases turnover. And I'm just going to say, who doesn't want to decrease employee turnover right now? A few years ago, we also released a report from our own data that showed that the employees who give and volunteer through their companies 
are 57% less likely to leave those companies. And that's as high as 70% in some of our client companies. That's incredible when you think about that amidst the great resignation and a super hot talent market. And what that tells us is that people want to work for brands that give them a sense of purpose and allow them to have a positive impact. And we've also found that actively promoting goodness within your culture drives a bunch of other amazing benefits that a lot of companies are looking for, including team cohesion and connectedness, which all of us can use right now, leadership and communication skills, a diverse leadership pipeline, sales productivity. And I know it seems weird, how could like volunteering do this? But when you actually think about what doing good is, it's building the muscle for thoughtfulness, kindness, empathy, and action. Those are all what we look for in great brands and leaders. And turning to the customer front, there's data that proves exactly the same thing, that customers are looking for the same things from you. For example, asking consumers what they want from a brand typically elicits the same response. We want high quality products and usually at an affordable price. GWI released this study back in September 2020, and it's amazing to see that people were more interested in brands that supported COVID-19 and social causes. I think that's a pretty massive shift. But let's face it, I, I get that this was just in the wake of the pandemic. And I, I understand that, you know, you could be like, well, people were really sensitized at that time. But the bottom line is that people do want this. You can replace COVID-19 with racism, homophobia, transphobia, gender equality, whatever it might be, every other wrong that we need to right in the world. People are looking for you to help them support social causes. And for those of you who are like, yeah, this whole stakeholder capitalism thing, you know what, shareholders still the most important <laughs> stakeholders for our company, I've got a little bit of data for you as well. There's something called ESG, Environment Social Governance. And it's another one of the tailwinds that's got super accelerated through 2020. What it is, is it's a framework that's been around a long while. And, but since the pandemic, more investors are focused on investing in companies that demonstrate a strong commitment to these positive outcomes. According to McKinsey, we've seen that companies that have a really authentic and comprehensive approach to ESG have been shown to deliver better value on all of these business metrics, much more than the laggards in this area. Our friends at McKinsey also told us that CEOs are spending about 50% of their time on ESG topics. So if you're getting asked about it, that's probably why. And what they're saying is that it's not just a CSR or corporate social responsibility thing. It's not just a PR thing. It's actually a strategic business imperative that requires all business functions to activate. And since then, we've seen just a massive outpouring of support and investment in purpose. And all of us in this room know that cult brands have purpose, but the way it's been done before and the way it's being done now is totally different. You're listening to Cult Brand Secrets. We'll be right back. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. 
Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Welcome back. Here's more of Cult Brand Secrets. George Floyd's murder came almost exactly one year after my mother died. And after such a cruel awakening to the inequities and the harsh realities of our world, I was still in the same job, even after promising myself that I would seize the day and start living my purpose. It happens, right? Time passes. So after a few things settled down at Benevity, right after the racial justice movement, I had a pivotal conversation with my boss. She said, hey, Sona, what, she was my new boss at the time, so she said, hey, Sona, what do you want to do at Benevity? And I was like, I put it all on the line. I said to her, you know what? I think I've, I've reached the height of my ambition in marketing. I think I've actually reached the height of my capability in the discipline. And I want to turn my full attention to helping companies and people realize their full potential and authentically live their purpose. And I realized I sounded like my mother. <laughs> in the most unexpected but delightful response, my boss Kelly said to me, great, that's exactly what we need you to do. And six months later, I moved into my new role as Chief Impact Officer at Benevity. And I'm now head of our social incubator called Benevity Impact Labs. The idea of my new role was essentially to start harnessing all of our data, our insights, access to clients who are running incredible purpose programs to help companies, nonprofits, and individuals maximize their impact and authentically execute on purpose. We're really essentially just trying to use our assets for the betterment of the world and trying to share as much of it as possible. At the same time, Prince Harry was actually named uh, Chief Impact Officer, which is pretty cool because that basically makes us twins. <laughs> and I was pretty sure, you know, I, I remember thinking, he's probably getting paid way more than me. We're working way less. That's cool. He's royalty, so you know, uh, it's all right. Uh, I've always liked the guy. But since then, I've actually met a few other chief impact officers. And in fact, someone this morning was asking me, she's like, is this kind of a new thing that's happening? It's like, yeah, it is. What's interesting is a lot of chief impact officers actually come with our backgrounds in PR, communications, and marketing. So great news, our skills are very transfer transferable. Today, Benevity works with some of the most passionate, beloved, um, and purpose-driven brands. And what we uh, at Benevity and our, our clients can tell you is that while executing on purpose isn't super simple, there are some simple things that you can put to work that will help you really build a purpose-driven brand without putting your brand at risk of woke washing, cancel culture, purpose washing, green washing, all those brand threats that are out there. And I know it's a terrifying space to step into. I totally get it, trust me. Every movement has a counter movement. Every action, a reaction. Every tweet, a social media shitstorm. You just can't avoid it. You wonder what will people dig up on our brand that they're gonna hold us accountable to in, in 10 years, or what, you know, what, what are we gonna say that maybe we couldn't say then that we're gonna say now? What are we gonna say now that we maybe can't say in the future? But here's the thing, you really can't Ignore these topics. Everybody wants you to lean in and talk about them. It's clear that your employees want that from you. It's clear that your customers want that from you. And it not just helps your employer brand, it helps your overall brand perception and equity. 
And not only do they care about it, they're actually willing to choose or lose you based on it. Some of our own research shows that 40% of employees are literally willing to walk out the door if you don't prioritize issues related to racial and social justice. But there's good news. 70% of your employees are actually willing to refer you if you do. I've been going on and on about impact, equity, and justice. And you're probably wondering, is this really what I came here for? <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about brand purpose. Isn't that like your brand's goals? And when did all this stuff change? Sorry. <laughs> but maybe let's start with what purpose is not. Purpose is not your brand purpose. Back in the day, it was all about what you did and how your offerings changed the world or what you, what you offered to society with your core products. And sometimes that company's purpose also extended to their CSR or culture efforts, efforts. So for example, if you were a financial services company, you might also support financial literacy in your communities. Or if you're a tech company, you might support STEM programs. Or if you're an extractive industry or oil and gas, you might work with indigenous peoples on, on land issues. That was seen as responsible and it was seen as purpose through PR and marketing efforts. And I'd say that's still a part of purpose, but it's probably not the most effective or resonant kind. In fact, the most valuable and progressive brands have completely flipped the script on purpose. And what they say is that no longer is it about your people or your customers buying into your purpose, it's all about how you support their purpose. So it's a complete 180. Purpose is about how you create a culture where you become a platform for your people's passions and where you help all your employees, your stakeholders, your customers execute on that passion and have an impact. It's how you use your reach and your resources and your wealth and your products to create a positive impact on the world. It's how you become a catalyst for a better culture inside your organization and out in the world. Today's purpose, what it's actually about, is self and corporate actualization. It's all about becoming better versions of ourselves. Okay, so that's a lot of theory. <laughs> it's a lot of data and a little bit of new age evangelism. So I hope you're still with me. Are you still with me? Yes? Okay, great. <laughs> so you might be asking, okay, so you've told me all this theory. What does becoming a purpose-driven brand, purpose brand actually look like if it's not the same as that brand purpose that we knew before? So I'm gonna give you seven quick tips. Super tactical, so I actually hope it's helpful. Um, as we've heard, cult brands are built from the inside out. So what I would say is start, with your, start your journey with a genuine desire to get to know the inside of your business, what matters to your stakeholders, and start with your employees. Anything in your strategy that doesn't reflect their passions or their interests or their purpose will likely feel very inauthentic and not resonate in the outside world. Your people are actually going to hold you to the highest standards. So start with them and learn what the bar is. Get really curious. Find out what lights them up. Which events are they attending? Which ERGs or employee resource groups are growing and hopping and attracting more attendance? What, what causes are they actually going out and volunteering for? Who are they donating to? What do they care about? What, what fuels them? Your company has its own passion areas. You might be surprised that you're going to find a few themes in them that you'd be surprised at. So take the time to get to know them and then make that part of your strategy and make that the starting point of your strategy. 
Like I said before, become a platform for your people's purpose. If you don't already, encourage your people to bring their personal passions, share their personal passions, either in the organization or even with your customer community in some meaningful way. Allow them to support the causes that they care about, not just the ones that matter to the company. And in fact, when you do that, they'll be more likely to support the company's causes too, because it's a reciprocal relationship. And also, let them support causes that you may be a little uncomfortable with because they mean something to them. For example, TripAdvisor and ATB, who I think is here today, also help their employees and customers support religious causes, which can get a little uncomfortable in the corporate arena. But they do it because they know how important that is to people's deeply held values and beliefs. And they know the power of connecting with people on their own terms and passions. Microsoft actually allows their employees uh, every October to come in and just share their passions, bring nonprofits in. They do auctions, events, volunteering uh, engagements. And it's incredible to see what they are absolutely one of the most prolific programs with the highest participation. And if a global company of 85,000 employees around the world can do this, then I think smaller companies can do it too. This may not seem like brand building to you, but it, it really is. It's purpose-driven brand building. And you've nailed it when you suddenly realize that you're not the one that has to start the movement every time. In fact, your people start the movements. And you know you've actually created a place where people are creating that culture of goodness with you supporting it. The third one is to back up your statements with real action. So the next time that you're thinking about using your voice out on social media or making a statement about a big topical crisis, pair it. Pair it with some real action. Show them that you mean it. So whether that's announcing grants to nonprofits or donation matching campaigns for your customers, your employees, or any other way of helping. When Russia recently invaded Ukraine, we had a number of companies spring into action literally within days. And what they were doing was accelerating large grants to humanitarian relief causes, or they were running donation matching campaigns for their employees who maybe weren't as affected, but wanted to support their colleagues in other areas. They also allowed their people to volunteer in really unique ways. For example, driving around, picking people up who were fleeing, or housing refugees or feeding people. It was pretty incredible to see what they were mobilizing their people to do. And what I'll say is that this is not only an incredible way to engage your employees and show them that you care, but it mobilizes social change, impact, and it fuels this culture that is empath empathetic, compassionate, and kind. Your people will remember what you do in these times. So this one's one for all of you marketers. <laughs> Pause before promotion. I know we're all about getting out there and telling everyone everything, but purpose is not a campaign. It's enduring, much more like brand. So even though you might run goodness campaigns from now, uh, every now and then, don't treat them like a promotion. Sometimes it's appropriate to go out and tell the world what you're gonna do, but sometimes it's not. So I'd say really ask yourself, what is your motivation? If it's really just to build brand reputation in Halo, I'd say think twice about that. You know, you'd be better off doing it if it can serve a higher purpose, if it can act as a catalyst for action for people or an outlet for a sense of efficacy or people wanting to make a difference, if it can act as an example to other brands, if it can call on others to collaborate, if it can elevate the work of incredible nonprofits who may not be known, then if that's the case, get out there and talk about it because it serves a higher purpose. 
The fifth tip is to start with we and not me. When you're activating out in the world, don't just talk about what you're doing, talk about the issue and why it matters and why they should care. And I never thought I'd actually ever say this to like a, you know, a room of revenue-seeking professionals, but the best people who do this are actually nonprofits. They do this incredibly well. And what they do is they tell people what the issue is, they tell them why it matters, they tell them what they can do to actually make a difference, and then they show them how. And then after all of that, they show them the difference that they made. And usually they'll tell it in a story of collective impact that shows the incredible difference that they made together with other people. That's more than anybody could have ever done on their own. And it makes them feel like a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And then they associate that with you. You were the catalyst for that sense of community and change. So if you only act like a marketer, you will only go so far. But if you act like an advocate with a mission that's bigger than your bottom line, you will actually make incredible change. Ask the hard questions. And I've always been good at this. So I'm always the one in the room who's like, I, can, I got a question, I'm just wondering. But if there isn't somebody already in the room who's asking the hard questions about how your brand is gonna make a difference or how your brand is gonna contribute to you know, addressing some of the world's most pressing issues, then let it be you. Now, if there is someone else in the room, then be an ally, be an ally. Because you can, you can be certain that if not now, very soon, your employees, your shareholders, and your customers are gonna be expecting it of you. And I don't mean in 10 years, I mean literally when the next crisis hits, which could be at any time. And so you need to be prepared for that. And if you don't think your company's purpose and impact work is quite in your realm, it's really time to make friends with your folks in HR and CSR and start to, brand, to, start to align your culture, your brand, and your impact programs. I'm gonna say this and I think it's true. You really are the best person in the company to act as the conscience for your company. And that's because you bridge from the internal world out into the external world and into society. So you play a really unique role in giving voice to what the world needs. Finally, it's really important to remember that we're hardwired hard to actually do good. Anthropologists who've been studying humanity's success have said that it's our ability to cooperate, not compete, cooperate, that's actually ensured our survival. So it's not competition, as some would have us believe. And we're actually hardwired to help each other. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm not a neuroscientist or a behavioral scientist, although I'm spending more time reading that stuff. Um, but the effects of doing good on your brain are real. They've studied it. And what they've shown is that when you when you engage in an act of goodness, of your own willingness, that's really important, your own willingness, that it can actually release up to 50% more oxytocin in your brain. And for those of you who know that oxytocin is, it's the bonding hormone. It's actually what's in breast milk and bonds parent to child. But the cool thing is that it's also what, you, what gets released in your brain when you are petting your dog or your cat. And also, they get oxytocin when you pet them, by the way, so you're doing real good for them. <laughs> But what that tells us is that by doing good, we're actually releasing these chemicals that make us happy, that give us that warm glow of giving. So if, if doing good feels good, that's why. And in fact, there's a bunch of other studies that show that givers and volunteers create super deep connections with their communities and their teams and their companies because of that bonding agent. And they also, they also report better health, 
reduced stress, depression, and anxiety. So the reality is that many of us, if, anyways, if you're like me, you're not really that okay right now. We're running on fumes, lacking in resilience, optimism, and stamina. I don't know, I always say I feel like a cell phone, an old cell phone whose battery just can't be fully charged anymore and it drains really fast. We've spent the last three years protecting ourselves from each other, although I feel like we totally broke that this morning in that room. <laughs> but we've been wrestling with really uncomfortable truths about the state of our world and it's been hard, really hard. And when it comes right down to it, the thing that sustained us was knowing our purpose, acting on our purpose, and doing it together. Those of us sitting in this room today have tremendous privilege. We have jobs, we have networks, we have access, we have teams, we have products, we have budgets that can make a real difference in the world. But we also have creativity, we have power, we have platforms for purpose that reach millions of people. So let's get out there. Let's do something. Let's use these resources to make the world better for everyone. And let's not wait. Let's get out there and make our mothers proud. Isn't it great to see highly successful brand leaders being as vulnerable and as approachable as Sona is? I love how she shared personal stories about her life and told us about her mother and reminded us that our careers and our companies should be about so much more than just the pursuit of profit. You know, purpose is very vogue right now. And many think that this trend started with Simon Sinek's concept of starting with why, but he didn't start this. He just provided a framework and some compelling rationale for it. The fact is we have found purpose-driven companies have been around for over a century. They have certainly become more glamorized of late and things like B Corp designations have certainly helped. But I really like how Sona explained that purpose differs from brand purpose. And it's truly about supporting other people's passions and making the planet a better place for mankind to live and to interact with each other. True purpose is about using our reach and our resources to improve culture. And as she said, to achieve this heightened level of Maslow's self-actualization. I hope you all enjoyed listening to Sona's remarks. But more importantly, I hope that you will set a meeting with Benevity to see how their software and their ideology can be applied to your business. Because we all need more purpose-driven businesses who are doing the right things for the right reasons. Every company has an opportunity to benefit from doing more good. Many cult brands don't consider this an opportunity, they consider it an obligation. It's what their employees demand. It's what their customers crave. And they want their companies to do well by doing good. And Sona certainly shared a lot of compelling evidence for why those two things are correlated. The reality is, is that we are facing a whole new type of world order where corporate social responsibility matters. And 
in this era of mass commoditization where consumers are jaded and employees are uninspired, businesses that truly live up to their potential of leading with purpose are the ones that will gain the most ground. Who knew that empathy, compassion, and kindness would become so important to the bottom line, but they are. So let's all start leading by example. Until next time. You've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we share the best insights gleaned from The Gathering, an annual summit for brand leaders eager to make their companies more successful and more significant. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as our executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.